ask you this. Let, let, let me ask you this. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Sports Central. Chicago Sports Conversation with Adam go, Hogue. Go, go, go. This go. is Sports Central. Happy Wednesday, this is... And streaming live on WGNRadio.com. Stepped on the intro there. Thank you, Chris Duffy. I'm Kevin Powell, in for Adam Hogue, who remains out for a few more days. I'm here through Monday, and um, we're on until 2 o'clock. No more beating around the bush. Very excited to introduce our first guest of the day, White Sox General Manager Rick Hahn. Rick, appreciate you jumping on today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So uh, if you could quickly provide another scare yesterday. Jose Abreu leaves the game with a tight hamstring. Kevin Smith goes down. Any updates with both of those guys before we move forward? Yeah, those are uh, – we've sort of paid our uh, our contributions to the baseball gods this far <laughs> in spring with yeah. uh, Jake Berger's Achilles tendon and Mike Rodolfo's uh, ulnar collateral ligament. So I was not expecting to have to continue to uh, – answer questions like this, but fortunately, uh, both the Abreu injury and the Smith injury seem relatively minor. Uh, Jose, to his credit, sort of pulled up before he felt any sort of pop uh, or created any significant damage to the hamstring. It really is just tightness that has him day-to-day. Regular season, there's a chance he's in there today, but probably would be in there tomorrow. Uh, Since it's spring training, we're probably going to take a couple extra days before getting him back out there before the before the Cactus League season ends here. Uh, but he, he should be fine. And, and Smitty, uh, I think he he did hear a loud pop when he turned the bag, which is always scary, and he was having trouble putting weight on it initially, immediately after the injury. But it seems like he, too, has avoided uh, significant injury and, and just has a, a little uh, relatively mild ankle sprain. He, he was walking around the training room late in the day yesterday, which is a, as someone who's uh, rolled his share, fair share of ankles. Uh, you know, he obviously has a higher pain tolerance than I do, and uh, is recovering far more quickly than I ever did. So, uh, good news on both those guys. Good to hear. Uh, the injury is obviously the negative part of the spring so far, but a lot of good things happening as well. How would you grade this spring overall for you guys? When you do factor in the injuries, but you factor in the positives, like the relationships being built and um, guys working on their craft. If you had to grade this spring, what would you give it? No, yeah, I would say it's a, it's been a very good spring. We were really pleased with how the young players who've gotten an opportunity have uh, acclimated themselves at the big league level. Obviously, uh, Eloy and, and Luis didn't get quite as much run in big league games as you would have hoped because of their uh, setbacks. However, I think in the short time that they uh, were able to perform, you saw a lot of things to be excited about. Dylan Cease uh, had, a, had a marvelous spring and, and looks to, knock on wood, put any injury issues that he's had in his past behind him and is, is poised to what appears to be uh, to have a, a very fine year ahead of him. Michael Kopech obviously threw the ball well. Dane Dunning. Uh, a lot of guys who were getting uh, their first exposure to Ricky and the staff uh, really made good impressions. And, and you, you touched on something from a from a cultural perspective that's very important to us, and that's uh, the tone of what Ricky and the coaches said at the big league level and having our players understand that throughout our minor league system. And a lot of sort of the the bonding or the uh, uh, cultural side of things that we put in place during the course of spring training 
does have a carryover effect as these kids go back to their affiliates and, and we think we'll, we'll serve everybody well over the course of this summer and certainly into the future. Well, just being in the clubhouse a little bit this spring, you can really sense the genuine excitement. It, it's a fun clubhouse. Guys are laughing. Guys are hanging out. Guys are playing cards. They're doing whatever. It, it seems to all have happened organically. Very much so, and 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 you have a lot of guys who are coming up together, who have obviously read the press clippings and knows what the expectations of them and this organization are going forward, and they're very much embracing it, and and they're they see the talent that's around them, they see the talent that's coming, and as a as a unit, they're with pride uh, embracing the notion of being sort of that next Sox group, that group, that young core that uh, ideally is going to coalesce together and, and put ourselves in a position to win championships here over the next several years. There's still a ways to go, obviously, and obviously they're not all at the big league level uh, just yet, or likely not even over the course of the 18th season, but the, the work that's being done both in big league camp and then once they, they arrive in minor league camp and then throughout the summer at their affiliates, those bonds we suspect are only going to get stronger and is, is going to, again, serve the organization well uh, once we're in a position to win. Well, I want to ask you, Rick, I don't think you've been asked this question once, not one single time this entire spring, Rick, and that's when will Michael Kopech and Elo Jimenez be called up to the big league club? <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, obviously, that's uh, it, we've replaced the questions from last spring about Yohan Mancada and, and Ronaldo Lopez and, and Lucas Giolito with, with Eloy Jimenez and, and uh, Kopech. And, and frankly, I hope a year from right now you're asking me the same questions about Luis Robert and Alec Hansen or Dylan Cease or any of a number of the young guys who are in that, that next wave. And it was important to us, to, to as we built this thing, to make sure that we had – uh, in, for lack of a better description, sort of wave upon wave of talent coming to us uh, that was going to continue to grow this core over the course of the next several years. As for uh, it, as was the case with Moncada and Lopez and Giolito and will be the case with Kopech and, and Eloy and will be the case for each of the next generations after them, they're going to come to Chicago after they've answered all the questions we've had for, have for them at, at the minor league level. There is very much an element of development that happens in Chicago that can only happen at the big league level, given the unique speed of the game at the major league level. However, there is still some things that each of those players have to uh, have to have to round out at the minor league level. Eloy is only 20. He's spent about three weeks above a ball. And uh, while we suspect he is going to, uh, ideally, when he picks up where he left off in Birmingham at the end of last season and, and makes a very large ballpark look small, uh, and then ultimately you know, has the other challenges of potentially AAA ahead of him, we suspect he's going to force the issue on us, given, given the talent in terms of when his promotion comes. Uh, Kopech, you know, he's 21 years old. His career high in innings is about 135 or so, which he set last year. And uh, by his own admission, and I think for, for all of us who have worked with him, we see you know he needs a little bit more work on, on the changeup, which he's going to need at the big league level. Uh, and as he's talked about, you know some of the composure things that got to him this spring need to need to be refined. But both of those two are, are really good, and the really good ones have a way of sort of forcing the issue on you. And we suspect over the course of this summer, each each of those two players will do that to us. Well, met- That's uh, we, we call that a good problem to have around here. You mentioned the composure and the changeup to to Kopech. Was that your your main message to him as as he was reassigned to minor league camp? Is that kind of what you you know relayed to him? And those are the two things you want him specifically working on absolutely and we had a real good talk with with michael uh 
yesterday or the day before, whichever day it was when we sent them out. And uh, a lot of the times in those meetings, you know, especially in spring training, they're not surprises. Michael knew from the start that our expectation was that he was going to begin the year in Charlotte, and there were certain things that we were hoping he'd get out of big league camp. So when, when you have those meetings, especially with a guy who's expecting to be sent out, you really let them sort of guide the conversation uh, about what they feel they got out of camp and what expectations they have and what they feel they need to work on themselves over the course of the summer. And, and Michael was the one who led with uh, being happy with the progress his changeup has made in a short period of time, which we agreed with, uh, but also feeling like it's, you know, it's going to be an important pitch for him going forward. And he wants to continue to stay on it. And then Michael himself was the one who raised the, the composure uh you know issues he had a few times, and we talked about sort of what was behind that, and 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 really not shockingly, given his given his makeup, it was about you know the very high level of expectation he has for himself, pitch to pitch, and when he's not executing a specific pitch, he gets frustrated. Uh, again, with time and repetition, that's and and age, that's all going to iron itself out, and is is that level of competitiveness when properly reined in is is really going to serve him well. Of course, you have the general manager's perspective, but back to Eloy for a second. Fans and his teammates seem in awe of what he can do. A real special player. What was your takeaway from seeing him in a full camp with you guys? Uh, as advertised, you know, we obviously had been a fan of his going back to when he was an amateur back in, I believe, 2013 was the year that he, he originally signed with the Cubs and, and our pro scouts have thought very, thought very highly of him, uh, leading up to our acquisition of him last summer. And then once the, once we had him in, in our system, our player development folks in, in both Winston-Salem and, and Birmingham, uh, spoke extremely high of, uh, not just the, the obvious tools that are apparent to the naked eye, but the way he he uh, fits into a clubhouse, uh, uh, how uh, high energy and gregarious he is, as well as uh, his work ethic and his responsiveness to instruction. And, and all that was as advertised over the course of the month or so that we had him in big league camp here. He's, he's uh, obviously an extremely talented individual. Everyone knows that. And uh, once you get to spend a little bit of time with him on a regular basis, you realize uh, that he's a, a pretty special guy off the field as well, which is which is just tremendous and obviously the type of the type of individual we want to have representing this club. Uh, one of the guys I had a chance to talk to a couple times out when I when I was out there in the uh, in the desert also had him on this show, uh Lucas Giolito, just a really um how would I describe it? He's he's very dialed in, he's very like connected to his his game, his craft. He's uh, you got to be pretty happy with what you've seen from him so far the big league level and this spring. Absolutely. I mean, he's he's a very mature kid. People forget the fact that uh, when you spend a little time with him, that he's only 23, that he was a high school draftee, uh, and a high school draftee who needed Tommy John at the time of, the, of, of his selection by the Nationals, and, and therefore, you know, missed some development time early in his career. Uh, from the start, when we first acquired Lucas, you, you could tell that he understood his mechanics very well, that he was a very realistic self-evaluator about where he was and what he needed to do to, to get better. Uh, the, the pure stuff and ability was always there, and it was really a matter of uh, you know, fine-tuning the, the mechanics so to enhance his ability to repeat the delivery and, and allowing uh, the natural talent to take over. And look, he, again, 23 years old, hasn't spent a full year at the big leagues, uh, which e- with each of our young guys, there's 
still going to be some growing pains that happen at the big league level, whether it's Lucas or Ronaldo or uh, Moncada, even Tim Anderson. Uh, these are still very young players who are going to have fits and starts. But as they mature and they understand better what uh, are their keys to success and they're able to almost self-correct on the fly, which I think is really what you're seeing from Lucas these days, uh, that is a skill that's really going to help minimize these slumps going forward and, and help them uh, get back to producing at the high level they're capable of producing at. Uh, Carson Falmer's had some command issues this spring, had some struggles, had a nice bounce back start earlier in the week, though. Are you fully expect him to be on the big league rotation on opening day? You know, we haven't made that uh announcement just yet we haven't had those specific conversations with what guys are going to be uh, uh, winding up in Chicago and which are, are going to be starting a year in Charlotte but I, I will tell you that when you make an assessment on a guy like Carson it's not just you know three or four starts in in March it's more about the body of work uh, it's more about his history what he was able to do last year at the big league level and at the minor league level and the specific work elements that we wanted him to work on while here in Glendale. Sometimes that creates more problems. For example, going back to Kopech's changeup, if he gives up a home run on a changeup, that's not necessarily a failure because we need him throwing that pitch. That this is more that's more of a teaching opportunity than something that dictates his ability going forward. Uh, it actually, you know, some of those setbacks serve him well. And in Carson's case, I, I certainly I think uh coming in here knowing that he had a real good shot of being the in the rotation, he may well have put a little additional pressure on himself to sort of seize that, or at the very least, once things didn't start out great, you know, that felt some of that pressure and that, that impact his performance. So it was real good to see him the other day uh, against Arizona, against the good Arizona lineup at their place on Monday, have a solid start, keep his, keep his mechanics in check, uh, sort of slow things down, and to be able to throw some quality strikes that we know he's capable of doing. So, again, young kids are going to have some fits and starts. We have the opportunity ahead of us here in this season to really uh, learn about a lot of our young guys and give them the opportunity to, to succeed uh, and show they belong as part of a, a core of an ex-White Sox championship club. So uh, we're going to err on the side of giving these kids that, that, those opportunities because that's at the end of this year, it's going to be real important for us to, to understand uh, which of our players fit into what we're trying to do going forward and how. All right, before I let you go, can we do a little rapid fire where I throw a few names at you, you give me a quick scouting report and update on their spring and tell us where they'll start the year? Uh, I can tell you everything, but perhaps where they're going to start the year. Again, I prefer okay. the players to know first, Okay, but in general, I can tell you. How about Dane Dunning? How's his spring? Great spring. You know, Dane's calling card is that sinker. And, uh, you know, we actually used him out of the pen a few times, which is not how he's going to be used going forward. It's what's how he was used in college. But uh, we view him as a, as a real valuable pitching prospect going forward, a guy who's going to be able to give us innings and keep the ball on the ground. Uh, he finished the year in Winston-Salem last year. There's a decent shot. He begins the year there again this year uh, just to get uh, a nice start for the first, say, four or five, six starts of the season. And then ultimately, I suspect he'll suspend the either at the start of the year or after promotion, will spend the, the bulk of his season at AA Birmingham. Alec Hansen. Uh, he had a little bit of a setback early in camp with some, some forearm soreness. Uh, thank goodness, uh, as I said, we already 
paid our uh, tributes to the baseball gods through the other injuries, and, and the MRI came back uh, essentially pristine or as good as you could possibly hope for on a pitcher. Uh, he is just dealing with that muscle soreness, getting that out, and starting to ramp back up now. So he'll once he's ready to go, he'll be part of that double-A rotation, and obviously he's uh, uh, having led the league, the, all of minor leagues and strikeouts last year, and, and uh, uh, given his physical tools, he's one of the, the finer pitching prospects in baseball, and we look forward to having him out there in, in Birmingham before long. How about Zach Collins? You know, here's the thing about Zach for me, and I, I get a little defensive on Zach because I think due to the low batting average or the low-ish batting average last year, there's this misperception that this kid had a bad year. Uh, not only did I think he walk over 80 times and hit something like 17 home runs and had an OPS over 810 or 830 or something like that, uh, all of which is really, really good for a catcher. Last year was his first full year as a pro. He played more games last year in 2017 than his entire college career combined, and he's doing it behind the plate, which obviously is the most rigorous position. And at the time as he leaves left camp last year, it's really sort of the, the catching and throwing and the, and the pitch calling that we're looking for the development from him over the course of the 17th season. He's going to hit. Everyone's always known Zach Collins is going to hit. The elements that needed to you know, solidify were his, his defensive elements as a catcher. So he had a lot on his plate as a full-time catcher last year, and he still produced at an offensive level that I think is pretty darn good, despite people taking cracks at his, at his batting average. I think Zach's going to be just fine. But uh, you, you hit a nerve there about Zach, so I had to, <laughs> I had to unload, fine. even though you, all you did was ask how, what kind of spring did he have, which was a good one. <laughs> I was like, did I have a weird tone there when I said his name? <laughs> I'll be careful. Yeah, the next time I bring up Zach Collins. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> hey, I appreciate uh, uh, the opportunity. <laughs> last player, I know you briefly mentioned him at the start of the interview, but I saw him throw some side sessions up close, and it was eye-opening stuff. Dylan Cease, to me, um, really impressive. What did you see from him this spring? Boy, this kid uh, has probably as high as upside as any pitcher in our system, uh, and, and I include Kopech in that. Uh, power stuff. Great breaking ball, uh, feel for the the, the changeup, uh, great composure on the mound, competitor. Uh, we're we're really really happy with where Dylan's at right now. Uh, the thing with Dylan is that not actually too dissimilar from where Michael Kopech was a year ago. He hadn't. Ha- Dylan has yet to have that season that Michael had in 2017, where he takes the ball every fifth day and gets through a full starter's workload over the course of the season. Uh, you know, he had a little bit of an ankle injury last year that set him back for a period of time. Uh, he had some fatigue at the end of the year that set him back. Those are the kind of things we're looking to avoid uh, with Dylan over the course of the 2018 season. Much as it was with Michael, we loved this uh, a year ago. We loved the stuff. Take the ball every fifth day, uh, handle that starter's workload, and the stuff's going to take care of the rest. And, and if he's able to do that, uh, I think a year from now, people are going to be talking about him in you know, the same way they're talking about Michael Kopech now. I know you didn't go to the school, Rick, but are you on the Loyola train? All of Chicago's backing them right now. Have you had a chance to watch any of them? I'm a, I went to Michigan, so I still have a dog in That's the fight. Right. Uh, but I'm certainly happy for Loyola and for Chicago basketball. Yeah, you know, I'm a little I'm, I'm a little bit older, so I, I'm I was kind of a DePaul guy growing up. Yeah. You know, I, I remember Aguirre and Cummings and Corbin 
Dillard, Grubbs, all those guys. So I was I was the Paul guy more than a Loyola guy growing up. But it certainly certainly is good for the city, and then obviously good for college basketball to have a Cinderella there, right right from our hometown. Rick, I could talk to you an hour, but uh, I know you're a busy man. You got things to do. I appreciate you jumping on for a few minutes here, and thanks a bunch. And I'm sure we'll touch base at some point uh, this season. Sounds good. I uh, appreciate you having me, Kevin. Take care. All right, Rick. Thanks a lot. That's uh, Rick Hahn, general manager of Chicago White Sox. Some really interesting stuff. And I really could talk to Rick for like an hour because he always gives you some uh, some good answers, always some in-depth stuff, and there's like a million questions you can um, – or a million angles you can take with this White Sox club right now. It's exciting times. It's uh, an ascending team, and it's a a farm system that is uh, loaded with an embarrassment of riches. So that's uh, Rick Hahn, White Sox general manager. Appreciate him jumping on. And uh, we'll take a quick time out on Sports Central. Appreciate you tuning in. And we'll check in with Scott King, who covers the Chicago Blackhawks for WGN Radio. Uh, he does it well. The Blackhawks officially eliminated from the playoff uh, race. Uh, disappointing you. We'll talk to Scott King next on Sports Central. WGN. WWWGN. This is where WGN Sports Central lives. Streaming right now with your host, Adam Hogue. Adam Hogue is out. I'm Kevin Powell with you for another week or so. Uh, Thanks again to White Sox General Manager Rick Hahn for jumping on. Uh, You'll be able to listen back to that at WGNRadio.com and iTunes and Google Play. and Wherever you can find podcasts, we'll have uh, this episode, Sports Central, up there so you can listen back if you... um if you missed Rick. Uh, let's talk a little Blackhawks with Scott King. He covers the Hawks for WGN Radio um, at Scott King Media on Twitter. The Blackhawks officially eliminated from playoff contention after a 5-1 loss to the Avalanche. Um, nobody expected the Hawks to make it for a while now. It's been pretty much um, uh, well known for the past couple of months now that the Hawks weren't going to the playoffs. But last night made it official. Scott, what was the reaction to... The team being eliminated from playoff contention. What was the reaction like in the in the locker room after the game? Hey, Kevin. Yeah, I don't know if you guys need a, someone to get you a coffee or something. In about two weeks, I'm going to have some free time here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, locker, the locker room, inside the locker room, yeah. Um, you know, Patrick Kane seems, I don't want to say completely deflated, but, you know, now these guys kind of do have to address it, that they're officially and mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. It's It's something that we knew was coming for about, uh, God, at least a month or so that they've they've had less than a one percent chance. So, you know, they're to, to their credit, they're not giving up on the season. They want to find their game. Patrick Kane's not a guy who has to find his game. Still got to seventy points already. Um, little luck if he gets hot. You could see him maybe finish the season with eighty points. But Jonathan Taves, who's been on the line with him, has certainly found his game, and he's been lighter on his skates as i said last night and and he's been scoring a bunch so you you got his game where you want it seabrook scored a power play goal last night those core guys you just want to see them find their game and get some confidence to uh build off of for next season first time in a decade they're not going to make the playoffs yeah i went to the game last night because i'm like all right i'll catch a little hockey before baseball starts and then i'm at the ballpark pretty much every day i'm like i'll go watch some hockey I, i knew it didn't mean a whole lot but you know it was a weird feeling walking through the united center because Every game I'd been to for the past, I've been going to Hawks games for a while now, for five, six years. Um, you know, we do shows from there. It just always feels like a big night at the United Center. It's still, it still felt big. It was still fun being there. But every game has always felt so important for the Blackhawks. And the UC didn't have that sort of buzz last night. I'm like, man, I haven't felt this in a long time. Like, this is like 
just going to a team who's just kind of in the middle and not really in contention for a championship. It was weird. Yeah, it used to be, you know, when they were rolling and, and they were definitely in a playoff spot for the majority of the season, the UC would be buzzing like it's a playoff game. You know that, Kevin. Anytime you went there, you know, there's still fans there, it's still sold out, and people still get going for the anthem. But, uh, yeah, there's there's not, if you're a fan, uh, there's not too much to be excited about with this season. Obviously, for the players, you know, like I said, they're still trying to find their game and find confidence, so they are playing for something. But when you see a game like last night, and this has been the case, this has been their biggest issue is holding leads. Since January 1st of this year, they've had 36 games, and 27 out of those 36 games, they scored the first goal. And uh, after scoring the first goal, their record's 12-12-3, so they're just not holding leads, especially the second half, and some of that's the goaltending, a lot of that's defense. So, you know, it was good to see Seabrook at the first goal last night. I'm sure fans like that, but when you allow five unanswered goals after that that's that's something that's not good and that's something that's been their problem the last little while here and why they're not going to the playoffs q addressed this before the game avalanche last year had 48 points just a miserable season they're probably going to make the playoffs this year that's how quickly things could change in the nhl so i guess this is me trying to give blackhawks fans hope that they may not make the playoffs this year but it's you could turn it around. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they're back in the playoffs next year, would you? For sure. And I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. I would say I, maybe I don't expect them just because uh, guys' production was a lot lower this season, all the guys they need to produce. I, I see them improving next season. I see those guys finding their game again. I see the younger players developing. But um, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs next season, but I would not be surprised if they do. And that said, yeah, the Avalanche are a good example of what can happen after your team struggles for one season, how you rebuild on the fly, how your guys find their game. And look at the Boston Bruins, too. They you know, they could somehow get past Tampa in, in these playoffs. I expect Tampa to win the Stanley Cup this year, but the Bruins are a very dangerous team that you wouldn't want to face. So there's a couple teams to look at where, yeah, you have a bad season, but you, uh, you, you rebuild a little bit. And look, the Hawks have a great chance of the draft coming up. They have two first-round picks, a uh, – Two third round picks and and a fifth, so I think that uh, you know that you might see them move up in a draft and maybe be able to get a guy like Dowen, a top defenseman. They're going to need a top defenseman to repair their defense. All right. Well, you think Stan Bowman will be around to make those draft selections? You know, I've I've learned not to predict these these moves that that can happen. You know, I've, I've been surprised a lot certainly the last couple of years, Kevin. I I don't know who's going. I don't know if. Um, if, if Bowman or Quinville is, is going to be the odd man out, I would say, you know, with Quinville, maybe at least you give him a chance to see whatever kind of, even if it's a slight rebuild, uh, through to, to get a chance to uh, command that team. And, and Bowman, I don't know. I, I think you look at the signings he just made, signings like guys like uh, Ruda and, and Gustafson, who expects to find their game on defense. And, and also with that signing, that's kind of telling you that he does expect Keith and Seabrook to find their game again as well. So maybe give him a chance to see how those signings and, and the defense repairs itself next year before he's the odd man out. All right, if you're if you're running the Hawks, Scott, if you're John McDonough, what would you do? Would you would you bring back Stan and Q? Would you would you move on from both of them or one of them? What would you do? I think you bring them both back at least a year. Um, now after that, after let's say there's there's minimal to to no improvement next season. What do you do then? Um, and you have the big part is, yeah, I think what fans and 
the front office would like to see happen is to be able to move some of these guys like a Seabrook, like a Keith, that you can get a lot for. They're obviously losing a step and had some rough seasons here, but they have no trade clauses. So the same as the case with Taves, and he's not a guy that I would want to move at all for what he does still. But if you can't move a guy like that, I think that's who you want to see go is, is players like that that have a huge salary that aren't producing like they used to. But since he can't do that, maybe you do have to get rid of a Q or a, uh, or a Bowman, and I don't know if – that's going to happen this year. I would give him one more year. You know, I hear frustrated fans throwing out the idea that, okay, we need to trade Taves. He's not the player he once was, and he's getting paid all this money. And I'm like, okay, well, one, what are you going to get back for him? If he isn't this great player, then why, what kind of value are you even going to get in return? You'd be trading him basically for uh, to get the numbers off the books, essentially. I know a lot of teams value him for a lot of other things, the leadership, etc. I just... I can't see the Blackhawks trading Jonathan Taves. And I know you can't just keep a guy for past performance, reward a guy for past performance, but for what he's meant to this organization, the leader he is for the team, I just I just couldn't see it. Plus, and honestly, on paper, would it even make sense, like trading Taves for what? For a goalie if Crawford's not right next year? But what kind of goalie are you going to get for Taves if, he is, if he's you know nearly on the wrong side of 30? To trade him, yeah, I know he's had kind of three rough seasons. He's actually, like I said, he's been pretty hot this last little while playing with Kane and Brandon Sod. He's up to 52 points now, or in 20 goals. So that's not that's not terrible. Do you want a lot more for a guy making $10 million a year? Yeah, of course. And that's I think, is the reason why you won't see another team try to get him, because that's a lot of money for a guy who's just not producing the way he should. That said, like I said before, I think he will improve, continue to improve. But I, I just don't see him waving his no-trade clause, and I don't see a, another team picking up the $10 million tab or giving enough guys in return to justify that trade. I just don't, I just don't see it happening. Right. I think he stays. So you've been around this team. You've seen it up close. What, I mean, the locker room, for the most part, is, has stayed together despite all the frustrations of this season. What, what, what is the vibe in that locker room? I think it has. You, you don't see you don't see this on the bench either. People watching that TV or or at the United Center, you don't see guys getting down on each other. You see, look, most of the team knows they're not performing the way they should. Everyone's underperforming the season across the board. You know, even Patrick Kane a little bit. Um, so they're not they're not getting down on each other, and they're getting down on themselves maybe in bunches because they know they didn't need to produce more. Uh, I think it's just they're trying to shake whatever this is, and whether it's. You know, the old guys stepping up, the core, the leaders stepping up and giving the young guys a chance to develop in the NHL. Let's not forget how hard it is to play in the NHL if you're a guy who played in another country or a guy just out of college. It's, it's very difficult. The speed and the skill is tremendous in the NHL, obviously. So, no, they're, they're definitely not beating each other up. I'd, I'd say that, Kevin. All right, assuming Stan Bowman is back, what should be on his to-do list this offseason? Top two defensemen which, look, they have money for the first time in a long time. After some of these signings they're going to make after the season, guys currently on the roster, some extensions, maybe a guy like Anthony Duclair, I think they need a top-two defenseman. They have money to do it finally. They're going to have about $12 million, you know. And, and I think Anton Forsberg, unfortunately, has kind of proven that he's not a reliable backup goaltender. I don't know if Jeff Berube is or not. So maybe you do need a, a backup, and you you got to see how Crawford's doing, like you said. you got to see how he's doing, because when he's playing and he's healthy, he's one of the best goalies in the NHL. He could have been the best goalie this year 
had he not suffered the upper body injury. So you you got to see your goaltending situation. You at least need a backup, I think. But you definitely need a top-two defenseman. I don't think you have such forward group. I like the group of forwards they have. For Crawford, at this point, they haven't officially shut him down yet, have they? But is there even a point to bring him back? I know some people were suggesting that you just need to get get him on the ice for at least a game or two just so he has that in his mind going in the offseason that, okay, he can he can play still. What, what do you think they should do there? I think from Stan Bowman's perspective, you do want to see how he looks in net. I just, we only have eight games left, so I don't know. For me, I would say what's the purpose and why risk we don't know exactly what it is with his injury, so I guess why risk it? But at the same time, you got to see if he can play. You, you got to see what you need for next season. So I, I still Quinville, and he just might not be ready. They might not be playing it safe. He still might not be ready. It could be that bad because Quinville does not sound optimistic about him returning anytime we talk to him. But he's definitely not ruling it out. Uh, Andreas Martinson, uh, kind of an emergency call up yesterday. What did you see from him? Anything uh, you know, projecting long term could be a benefit to the Hawks. Yeah, I think so. I think maybe he'll get another look soon on a non-emergency basis. I asked Quinville actually about him after the game, and you could tell Joel Quinville liked him. He likes guys that play that way. He had a big hit right away. I believe it was his first shift. It's funny, he's wearing number 29, kind of a big guy, throwing his body around. I heard guys right in front of the press box going, is that Bickle? Is Bickle back? So, uh, <laughs> well, he was so, huge. You know, I'm like, is that Martinson? This guy's massive on the ice. He's a big body. Yeah, I had not seen him in Rockford. I know he's going to be that big. And he, Yeah, he had a couple of big hits, and then he was getting into it with guys in front of the net. Quinville said he brings some sandpaper to, to the Hawks game. So, <laughs> yeah, I expect to, to see him back and, and certainly get a bigger look in training camp. All right, Hawks play at home tomorrow. Then they have... Uh, a game Saturday, and then they're back at the UC next Monday and next Thursday, and then that's it. And then Scott King, what do you do? You go, or I think they have what, their final game is April sixth, a Friday night game against St. Louis. Do you go into hibernation in the off season now? This is weird. There's no playoffs. Normally the Hawks go deep, like even into the beginning of summer. So what does Scott King do now? Well, it's time no on your hands. No one's going to see or hear from me. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to we're going to put you to work, Scott. I think you should sit on Sports Central Sports Central with me and Hogue every now and again. Yeah, look, I'm available. <laughs> Talk to talk to my agent, which is also myself. Yes, just, just call me. I'm around. Um, what should people you you uh, you got any blogs in the work? Anything that uh, we should be looking for at wgnradio.com? Something on the loss last night, kind of a uh, an obituary, if you will, yeah. if you will, for their playoff chances last night, and talked about the game a little bit on the Chelsea blogger on wgnradio.com. So there's that, and I will have a new podcast with Chris Bowden. Tomorrow, also on WGNRadio.com and on iTunes, and we'll have a uh, game blog tomorrow, too. All right. That's Scott King. Follow him on Twitter, at Scott King. Scott with two Ts, at Scott King Media. Uh, read his stuff at WGNRadio.com. Listen to his uh, his podcast. Scott, appreciate you jumping on, man. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. That is Scott King. Covers the Blackhawks. It just it was so weird. Like I was walking to my seats last night, and normally like there's that real... That excitement. You're getting that little buzz going. You're like, all right, all right, this is going to be a big game. Madhouse is rocking. And um, just didn't quite feel that last night. It was it was a strange feeling. But uh, fans are still dialed in. Blackhawks fans are some of the most like diehard fan bases out there. People love the Blackhawks. So um, she'll see. Hopefully they uh, can start a new postseason streak next season. But Blackhawks officially eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, coming up next, we'll talk with Mark Carmen, the Carm, 
about a wide variety of topics, including Loyola. We'll talk a little Bulls. Maybe I'll ask him about the Blackhawks. And uh, Carmen, one of our new White Sox postgame hosts at WGN and Radio. So we'll talk a little Sox with him as well. Uh, Mark Carmen coming up next on Sports Central. Chicago's Sports Conversation. This is Sports Central with Adam Hogue. This is Sports Central. I'm Kevin Powell in for Adam Hogue. Appreciate you tuning in on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Thanks to Sox General Manager Rick Hahn for joining us, Scott King on the Blackhawks, and now we turn to the one and only at the car, Mark Carmen. How you doing, Carm? Bringing in all the big shooters in the area, KP. That's right. Minus myself. Well, I wanted to talk to you because um, you have thoughts on just about everything in the sports world, <laughs> and... Um, First of all, I haven't even had a chance to talk to you about the whole. You're the White Sox post game host now. How awesome is that for you? Uh, well, I just, uh, as you said that, I just just removed a piece of my clothing and got uh, very turned on by it. It's uh, it's pretty amazing how the uh, the I'm just you know super excited to have the, the team on the station and to be a part of it and all that. And uh, we're obviously getting them at. The perfect time. Not that there would ever be a bad time to get uh, the White Sox, of course. But, um, you know, it's just super exciting what's to come. I know that you're geeked about it. And I, I, I heard, Kevin, did you – are you uh, actually moving to Guaranteed Rate Field and they gave you a little bit of a loft situation that you're going to be hanging out with? I know the food is, you know, it's right there for you, plus the baseball. I think it's a perfect situation. It would make sense. I'm going to be spending a lot of time there at 35th and Shield. So, yeah, if they can set up some sort of little like little cot, um, really right? anywhere, maybe in a closet, just somewhere quiet where I can get some shut-eye. Maybe for all of us we could use that, considering how much time we're all going to be at the park this year. You know, uh, maybe we should go get a little co-op situation going on there. You could cook on Mondays. I like that. Who has Tuesdays, you know. Those are, uh, I, I hear he's got a great egg uh, bake situation going on. Do you cook, Carmen? You know, Kevin, um, I just walked out of Chipotle. Okay. What's your order at Chipotle? What's my order? Look, I'm not a huge Chipotle guy, believe it or not. I mean, I like it. I enjoy it. Um, but see, You're I don't go to Chipotle. No, no, because you want to know why when I go to Chipotle and I get a burrito, I'm like, you know what I just yeah. want right now? It's just like a greasy ass burrito from some hole in the wall place in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm going to get a burrito, give me, like, an authentic Chicago Mexican burrito. It's just Chipotle just... I would never... Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Like, that's why I never go burrito at Chipotle. I think it's a bad move. If you're going, the only order is the bowl. You might as well go bowl. I normally go bowl. Do you you get the guacamole? I think they charge, like, seven extra dollars for a little scoop of guac. Too cheap for me to go guac. Not, I don't like the investment return on a guac. The, the ball stands up on its own. Don't need the guac. I, it's like a one out of 58 times I'll go guac. Just out of, <laughs> just like try one more time. All right. Um, let's talk a little White Sox, <laughs> though, because you're, that's fine. Yeah. Carmen, look, I'll talk food with you for the next 20 minutes, 20 minutes and fill this entire show with food talk, but I don't think other listeners would really enjoy that. Um, maybe sometime we'll, me and you will sit down on the show and we'll just – 
talk food for like an hour. Uh, by the way, did you get the email from the White Sox? It's one of my favorite days of the year. The White Sox in- invite members of the media to uh, check out the new amenities at the ballpark and also, more importantly, taste the new food that they're going to be offering up this year. Are you coming with us? Because I think I think Mr. Cat's coming. I think uh, uh, Producer Dave's coming. I think Mazer might be coming. Are you in? Yeah, that uh, was a fascinating email response by Andy. It'll be a good chance to get a lay of the land. Um, uh, I, which, you know, I probably do need uh, I, I feel like Andy knows every crevice of the ballpark already, so it's just yeah. like his way of darting around that he just wants to eat. Uh, <laughs> 10.30 on a Tuesday is a tough time for me, Kevin Powell. Why? So I don't know. I, Tennis I match? My, I'm, my fan, I'm like on a com. I'm working hard. I'm making videos. I'm talking... Big week over at the fan side. I talked to an Andy Roddick and uh, and a David Robinson. So uh, I, I don't know if I want to burn my time away for for that particular adventure. I mean, I'm more like a take a day off opening day type of guy, you know. But yeah. I, I will miss you. Um, and, and and you know, it's just, I just I don't I I love the opportunity to go and eat some food. If I can make it work, maybe I'll just take an extended bathroom break. We'll figure it out. All right, White Sox talk. Which player among their prospects gets you most excited? That's a great question and a hard one to answer, but I guess I'm going to go with Luis Robert. Um, you know, and I haven't, like, and this is from, like, I haven't seen him play in person, but everything you read about Luis Robert, number one, uh, great guy. Number two, can play all three outfield spots. Number three, you got you got the speed power combo at the plate. Uh, I, I mean, I love that they. I, I to me, like I think that guy. It's not being talked about. It's not going to happen. But and he's out for two months, so it hurts. But before that happened, I'm like, you know what? If the White Sox surprise this year, which I know that's not uh, a huge odd, but if they do, I was like, this guy, the way everyone's talking, who knows how quick he's going to come. Because I, I yeah. there hasn't been a bad word said about him. But they're all, you know, I I, I can't wait to see Mike go back out there. I mean, even though uh, that might not be for a while. And, and you know, I mean, Aloy, I mean, come on, right? And mm-hmm. and, and, and as far and right now to me, like, you look at the square look at Giolito's head and, Carmen, yeah, Carmen, hang on. Your your phone's like cutting in and out. Are you walking around with your phone? Oh uh, no! How's now? How's now? How's now? Still pretty awful. Let's go with a walk around. There Let's you go, right the there. Vehicle. That's the sweet spot, right yeah. there. Yes, right there. Right here. Okay, I'll, I'll hang in the sun. My bad. Okay. I was That's fine. Uh, yeah, a ton of prospects. It's just like and and being like up close with some of those guys being out at Camelback it's just they're all huge they're all huge athletes it's like one guy after another so obviously an embarrassment of riches in the in the farm system let's talk about the cubs for a second carmen um not a whole lot of question marks out of cubs camp really it's basically like who's going to bat lead off how's tyler chatwood going to do as the fifth starter and how's the bullpen going to sh- going to shake out for you what's the biggest question mark for the Cubs going into the season I, I still stress the leadoff spot and center field so what, what you're you're going to lead Ian Happ off and he's going to play center field and do a good job out there not a center fielder not a leadoff guy okay that goes south you want you're going to go with Albert Almora good center fielder 
hasn't hit worth a lick in the spring. I know it's the spring, can't can't overreact, but he's you know, lead off guy is not his thing. He'd be way better down in the order. You don't think Ian Hap can play center. center field regularly? I mean, I think he's okay. I, I, I think he can play it in Wrigley. I, you know, it, it, I, I haven't seen him this spring, so if he's made some major moves. But last year it was like, you know, I'm going to take two steps left, I'm going to take two steps right, and oh my God, maybe I'll catch it, and it's a miracle, okay, it'll land it in his glove. He certainly was I, I wouldn't, as far as center fielders go, I would, I would lower third, maybe lower quarter. Um, so I, I'm not saying he can't do it, but... You also, you know, you factor in. You got Kyle Schwarber playing a whole lot of left field, so now you got a bad left fielder and you got a bad center fielder. And I, I the other thing that's not being talked about with the Cubs, like Wade Davis was unbelievable last year. Yeah. Brandon Morrow's really going to step in and, and be eighty-five percent of Wade Davis. I, I'm not so sure about that. Um, you know, he's never really closed in his life. Certainly not in the opportunity of this. I, I would, you know, it doesn't look like the Cubs are going to go get Greg Howland or. or you know, add on to the bullpen right now. Apparently, they're sitting on about eight million bucks of flexibility. So, I think there's concerns with the with the closer situation and and also who's going to be playing center field and leading off. Carmen, I don't know if you saw this, but Forbes came out with a ranking of all thirty major league ballparks. Did you see the list of this? Oh, I saw it. Okay, so Wrigley yeah, comes in at tenth. Your thoughts? Wow. I, I I think that Forbes should should stop being a magazine. No. Um, you're 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 really you're putting Wrigley Field behind Kauffman Stadium. I don't know if you know this, Kevin. I worked in Kansas City, did some great radio at Six Ten Sports Radio. I've spent a lot of time at Kauffman Stadium. On its best day, it's a half of Wrigley Field, and and I like Kauffman Stadium. But come on, man! Yeah, like, are you kidding me? Food's atrocious. It's a concrete block of nothing. Yeah, okay, they got a sweet video board and there's the fountains, but it's 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 it's, it's straight out of the vet and. An old uh, Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. I mean, come on. So that list was, I mean, that was by a contributor, and he was taking a spin at it. And then you're, you're really going to put guaranteed rate field 28? Yeah, that's outrageous. It's the best ballpark. I mean, come on, man. But that being said, like, you go through it, baseball is just like every stadium is great. Like, they're all awesome. So yeah. the, only, the only two bad fields are the Trop in, in Tampa and uh, in the, the Coliseum. Coliseum in Oakland. I mean, yeah. those are. Yeah, I mean that's really it. You can throw every, you know. Yeah. What's what's better, Citizens Bank or Guarantee Rate? I get. I mean, it's to each his own. But eight, I, I've eight, always I've always thought that Sox Park gets a, a raw deal. Totally does. AT and T Park ranked um, number one. That it's Camden Yards. Bush Stadium third was a shocker to me. I've been to Bush a handful of times now, and it's it's underwhelming. Right. I mean, I mean, where where does that come from? I don't know. A brand new. Generally, cookie cutter ballpark is number three. What are you talking about, dude? Yeah, Dodger Stadium four, Fenway then... one, Wrigley two, or Wrigley one, Fenway two. I mean, that's that's how I would. Yeah. Fenway you want to say Fenway's one? I wouldn't. Fenway coming in seventh, Kaufman eighth, Coors Field sixth, bouncing around here. Uh, pretty, uh, yeah, it was interesting list here. Um, uh, before I let you go, Carmen, I know your hoops, dude. Are you on the Loyola train all the way, or what? I mean, how can you not, right? Yeah. Sister Jean, I, I'm trying to get her to invite me over for dinner after the whole thing. I figured I'd bring over, uh, you know, something to maybe a bottle of wine. We can just we can go back through this whole uh, all this incredible run. But I mean, I've always been a fan of Porter Moser since he uh, started. You know, when he got there and having him on the radio show and just the energy and the enthusiasm. Like this guy's going to do something. And uh, we'll see if he lasts at Loyola after this year. I think a lot of people are going to want Porter Moser to be their basketball coach. But 
I mean, they just play the right way. Every, I mean, the, the Dante Ingram Chicago thing is great. Clayton Custer, I mean, have you ever seen a more fundamental basketball player at, at the point? Every time he catches the ball, the ball's a triple threat position. What am I going to do? I'm going to pass it. I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to dribble it. I'm Clayton Custer. Uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're just – if the guy ever traveled in his life, every time, you know, perfect jump stop. So, and they got a great chance. Nevada's good, though. So, I mean, uh, they got the Twins. They were they once played at uh, North Carolina State. They were Wolfpack there, and now they're Nevada Wolfpack. You got to enjoy that little uh, – isn't that kind of fun? I find that to be interesting. That's pretty so we'll fun. See. Uh, yeah, I love it, man. I absolutely love it. Uh, and uh, hopefully they can keep pushing because, uh, you know, you couldn't have a better matchup as far as playing a 17 and a Sweet 16. Yeah. All right. He's Mark Carmen at the Carm. You can hear him regularly on WGN Radio. Uh, the Beat 4-7 to seven on Saturdays. He and Harry Tynowitz. Uh, Carmen also does work at Fansided. Which I don't go to enough. I mean, I'm just going to be completely honest. I don't go to fansided.com enough, Mark Carmen. <laughs> tell me why. Tell the people why they should go to fansided. Like, you can do your elevator pitch for your your uh, your website. Well, you just get more of me, Kev. Let's just oh, talk okay. about. I'm stuff. sold. I'm in. Yeah, That's all you yeah. Really? There you go. But yeah, yes. Uh, but no, there's uh, it's the fan point of view. You got contributors talking, so they're not. They're not beholden to the team, so you get a more of a raw take. And uh, a lot of the, the uh, I got to tell you, the video department they keep on uh, raising the bar there. More and more technology coming in, so it's it's uh, it's pretty cool what we're doing on the video side. So I started a baseball podcast, Carm Powell at the Park podcast, yeah. which rolls right off the top. Yeah, and um, I texted you, and you said, "Yeah, I'll come on any time." About two hours later, I said, "Hey, can you come on this week?" And you said, "Sorry, can't do it this week." So. We're gonna to have to figure that out, yeah. Carmen. If you said any time, and then you d- you've denied me like twice already, I, no, I'm, no, I feel no, a little slighted. No, no, by no, I feel no. a little slighted by oh, the Carm. Hold on a second here, Kevin. There was only one denial, and that was for last week, and it was a late in the week. Uh, it was a late in the week ask. If I if we can go back through the text chain, <laughs> and it was a it was a very it was a, it was a it was a, it was a busy week. I said next week. We're here on Wednesday. Apologize that an ambulance is running by. This is Chicago. Uh, I don't know if you can hear that. So, <laughs> I, I I probably did over oversell and under deliver. You're correct on the any time, and I should have just said that. Would would love to do it when I have the time. Would have been a more right, right, accurate thing. Right. And, and congratulations. So I apologize, but you know the spirit, Kevin, is that I would love to do it any time. Right. No, I got you. I got you, Carm. I really wanted to get um, the whole broadcast team in, like you, Andy, and Carm, but I don't know. That seems next to impossible considering all of our schedules, but uh, I got to have you. Maybe you could sit in for a full episode. How, how does that sound, Carm? That would be fun, right? I, I, I think that sounds great. I like it after the Rokon show, a nice 7 o'clock, or let's sit down, have a, you know, maybe I'll, I'll bring in some, some cuisine. We can all... Love Maybe a little, sh- little shake shack combo. You get a, get a double, have a shake, and let's do it. Beautiful. You're the best. Mark Carmen uh, at the Carm on Twitter, fansided.com. He has a show here at WGN on Saturdays. Uh, appreciate it, Carmen. Thanks for hopping on. JP, thanks for having me, brother. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. That is the great, the one and only Mark Carmen. Always like talking to the car. Um, a wide variety of topics. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back with buried headlines. Lots of crazy buried headlines for you right here on Sports Central next. Buried headlines on Sports Central. This is when we just kind of talk about any little news tidbit or any story we thought um, maybe didn't get enough attention. 
We do this every day. I think this story did get attention, but the XFL made some news earlier in the year that it's coming back. Vince McMahon relaunching the XFL, which lasted just one season in 1999. McMahon's bringing it back in 2020. And then all of a sudden yesterday, and I hadn't even seen anything about this. The XFL stuff was kind of rumored for a couple weeks, and then McMahon had a huge announcement for it. There's another football league that's launching next year. In less than a year, we're going to have a whole new football league, 10 teams, 50-man rosters. It's called the Alliance of American Football. It'll debut February 9, 2019 on CBS. I think that's the biggest part of this is, like, they have a broadcast partner. Charlie Ebersol, the son of NBC exec Dick Ebersol, um, announced a press release that the Alliance of American Football will debut on February 9th, 2019 on CBS. Now, Charlie Ebersol was the one who directed ESPN's 30 for 30 documentary on on the XFL, which is kind of interesting that he documented a failed football league and then he spearheaded the start of a new football league. Um, anyways, he's partnered with former NFL general manager Bill Polian, who you see do analyst work on ESPN. He'll oversee the league. That's the way they're describing it, which sounds like he'll be kind of the commissioner of the league. Former Steeler safety Troy Palomalu will oversee the player side. Uh, former USC standout and executive J.K. McKay will oversee the team side. And I guess the league is going to own every team. Uh, some other advisors that'll be involved. Dick Ebersol will be kind of involved as an, in an advisory role. Heinz Ward, receiver Heinz Ward and defense lineman Justin Tuck also will be uh, have a hand in it as advisors. Here's my thing though: it's like how are you going to get? You basically need 500 players. If it's a 10-man team, a league with 50-man rosters, you need 500 players. How are they going to get all these? How are they going to get 500 players by next February? I mean, I guess there's, I guess there's players who are like craving to play still and maybe miss their shot at the pros or trying to make a name for themselves. But damn, that's a lot of football players they need. It's, it's possible, Kevin. Ben, are you in? I'm in. You gonna throw yeah, your hat in the ring? I say that's like setting himself up for success because if it does fail, he's got another thirty for thirty ready to go. <laughs> that's a, I didn't even think of it that way. <laughs> but no, you know what? There, there's enough players out there. What Chicago has at least three, you know, minor league football leagues out here. So the, really? Yeah, the talent's out there. Damn, I'm in. I miss playing football. I'll risk some CTE to throw the pads on one more time. Um, so the uh, what is it? the Alliance of American? Let me make sure I have this right here. The Alliance of American Football, February 9th, twenty nineteen. I'm excited because right after the Super Bowl, I go into this depression. Like, damn it, football's over. This sucks. Everything sucks. So even if this football is really bad, I'm going to watch. I'm not going to lie. Not every game is going to be on CBS, by the way. They're going to have a website that's going to stream majority of the games. But CBS, I guess, will broadcast the first game. And it will broadcast um, the championships. I think it's going to actually on network TV. And you're going to watch the Alliance of American Football. Crazy times. All right. Thank you to White Sox General Manager Rick Connie. Join, join us at the top of the show. Uh, we then talked to Scott King, who covers the Blackhawks for WGN Radio. And uh, Hawks officially eliminated from playoff contention. First time in a decade they're going to miss the postseason. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Uh, And then Mark Carmen joined us. 
with a horrible phone connection, but we appreciate him jumping on. He talked about a wide range of things. Talked a little socks with him. Talked to Loyola. Uh, fun show. Thanks to Ben Anderson behind the glass. He's the producer of Sports Central. Kevin Powell in for Adam Hogan. I'll be back tomorrow. And uh, tomorrow we're going to talk with um, Steve Greenberg, Chicago Sun-Times. He's down in Atlanta covering the Loyola Ramblers. They play tomorrow night, so we'll do a preview with Steve. And then uh, who else do we have tomorrow? We have somebody else booked. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you've Devontae Harris. Oh, Boom. Fear the Bird, Illinois State Redbird defensive back. He ran a sub 4 4 40. He's going to join us. He has NFL aspirations. And if he doesn't make the NFL, he can go to the new Alliance of American Football. But we're going to talk to him at 1 30. We'll talk to Steve Greenberg off the top of the show. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kevin Powell. This is Sports Central. We'll be back tomorrow, 1 o'clock. Have a good day.